0: mm <laughs> From professional development, the patient voice, digital health, innovation and entrepreneurship, and of course, health IT, they've got you covered. So this is your official invitation to check them out at healthpodcastnetwork.com. Hey there, and welcome to the Hit Like a Girl podcast. My name is Joy Rios, and on our show, we amplify and celebrate the contributions of women in the healthcare and health IT space. Uh, we talk about how complex healthcare is, it's a lot like a 30,000 piece puzzle and each one of us holds a piece of that. And so our intention here is to learn from one another. So today on my show we have Holly Varnell and I would love it if you'd take a moment to introduce yourself and just yeah. a little, let us know a little bit about you. It's kind of hard because you know me That's already, right. It's yeah. a good point. Yeah. Let's talk about yeah. that. So Holly and I know each other. We've actually worked together uh, for several years. and. Um, you know, we we have past lives together. So what part of our conversation gets to be about value-based care, because I know this about you, that she is somebody who can get into the weeds and very, very like nerd out about clinical quality measures and merit-based incentive payment system. And that used to be something, to be honest, we've traveled together, we know each (laughs) other somewhat intimately, Uh, have worked with a lot of clients in the past, and it's been really interesting to watch your journey. Um, just over the years. And so I, you know, you and I haven't kept in super close touch. So since we used to work together several years ago, what have you been up to?
1: Um, Honestly, I feel like I've bounced all over the place. (laughs) Not really. (laughs) A couple of places. So after doing the consulting with you, um, I got really interested in molecular testing and biomarkers. And I started working for a genetics company and started working with hereditary genetics and then got into molecular proteomics space now and prenatal and really trying to make a difference with different companies and different underserved populations. One of the things that I've done in the past, which I'm not sure you're aware of, is a VA initiative. And actually I worked pretty hard on it um, for patients with prostate cancer, for veterans with prostate cancer. Right who were exposed to Agent Orange during Vietnam Gulf Wars, they are at higher risk for being more aggressive and it travels more quickly and you want to be able to catch it before it's too late. So I was fighting to get covered a genomic test that would stratify that risk. And now um, I switched over to this brand new company that created a space in prenatal care that didn't exist before and it has really changed my perspective on things because I didn't realize what disparities there were in maternal care Mm -hmm. and I didn't realize that there wasn't any clinical quality language or the ability to measure anything in prenatal care. So that's
0: something I'm focusing on now. So one thing I know about you is that you like to tackle large, complex problems and you just really get into, so understanding like, okay, you had a passion for like genomics testing. Can you tell me about that? Like, you probably have so much information stored up in your head that it might be difficult to like get it out, but can you give me the basics of what you know? What what would a layperson need to know about genomics testing and the support you were doing in the VA? If we can take that for, for yeah. <laughs> it, Just, you know, two, in two minutes.
1: Try not to. <laughs> nerd out with it too, but yeah. No, I definitely, I did a lot of research, obviously, because I want to be able to do things that I know is actually going to make a difference. So, for example, in the VA, the genomic test um, was actually based on how the cell within a tumor, or how how it grows, how the tumor grows. So, as the cell proliferates or multiplies, it grows. And we would have a molecular test that could tell you how quickly that was happening. Okay. So I could tell you the aggressiveness by telling you how
0: quickly the cells were regenerating itself. And so the idea being, okay, we're going to try to get ahead of that, you right? And test people as soon as possible to prevent the cancer from, you know, getting spreading and being in its worst. Yeah, and especially state. in
1: the VA because in the VA there tends to be a lot less attention and a little bit of lack of care and lack of access in some cases so knowing that you can really set aside a population that you really need to focus on okay and pay more attention to
0: them and so now you're in the maternal state uh, in the maternal like area and the thing is there's a ton of terrible statistics about maternal mortality infant mortality and when we look at like how the US is performing you know for women as far as their health outcomes when it comes to maternal care we have a lot of work to do oh yeah yeah, and and, and there's, there's a number of reasons for that, you know, like whether preg- pregnant women have not been able to be part of clinical trials, just by law, um, and there's been a lot of prevention, and really just like lack of focus on some of, you know, measuring what matters. And I think that what you're trying to touch on is, if I'm familiar with what you're getting into, and this is an area that we yeah. share in common, is an understanding of clinical quality measures in particular, so kind of giving a, Um, an overview for lay people as uh, people that are not as familiar and we have gotten into the trenches of this with value-based care is that there is a menu of clinical quality measures that administrators, clinicians, doctors around the country can focus on and they're essentially going to uh, report that to the government and those are created with evidence they have to have clinical rele- like relevance like why are we measuring this and you know a lot of technical um, input that yeah. goes into in the generation and creation of clinical quality measures. I don't want to put words in your mouth. <laughs> however, I might try so that from what I understand of what you're doing is we have not measured any uh, meaningful aspects around maternal care and you are trying to create that. Is that Correct. a fair and, statement? And around infant care, so okay. the newborn. So can you talk about what goes into the creation because it's a technical process. It's not something that you know you just like happens overnight. A lot goes into it. So what's your thought process behind creating a clinical quality measure around maternal care? So.
1: One, I wanna touch on the the disparities part and the health equity part because you mentioned that before and that's really kinda gets into the weeds of why I'm doing it. So kinda help to understand the madness of it. So right now the focus is on preterm birth. Um, We have more than 10% of all births are preterm births. And right now on guidelines, we only have the ability to screen about 17% of mothers. So there's 80% of mothers that are out there that aren't being screened. That are having preterm birth unexpectedly. What would you um, be
0: screening for? So
1: screening for any pregnancy complication. Okay. Screening for you know different clinical factors that can lead to pregnancy complications, or if you're diagnosed with a complication, um, following up with care, okay. change in clinical care okay. management. Okay. Um, but. One of the things that I realized that was kind of shocking to me, because I'm pretty new to the prenatal space. I've consulted in, yeah, as you know, a lot of different specialties, um, but prenatal I wasn't as familiar with. And I learned that there, so there are guidelines that don't have very specific things for very specific individuals. And for example, African American women, we know that they're one and a half times more likely to have a preterm birth Yeah. for American Indian, Native Alaskan, they're one and a quarter times, I believe, more likely to have a preterm birth. So, these are the people that are in the population that we're not screening. And going to the newborn and the infant too, because I'll get into that because we're going into newborn measures as well, and starting to scratch the surface with that. Um, The leading cause of a black newborn is preterm birth in the U.S., and globally, preterm birth is the leading cause for all children under the age of five. So, I mean, it makes a dramatic impact. So, to start to identify some of these underserved populations and be able to truly provide something that would change medical management, I began to create um, first clinical quality measures that measured providers, hospitals, employers, payers, across the board on um, whether or not they're doing a risk assessment early. Okay. and for these, this specific population, and whether or not they're actually making a change in medical management
0: if, if so, they do that. So right now, from what I understand, the, clini- the clinical quality measures that are relevant to moms have to do with postpartum care, and it's basically after, obviously, the, the baby has been born. So the idea being of like, hey, we need to put our eyes on something a lot sooner, correct? Yes, like, and yeah. make it um, more, feasible, Uh more reproducible, more
1: functional for it to actually work. So a lot of the measures, or there's not, there's one or two measures out there and almost all of them are structural or they don't really try to identify other factors. So with these clinical quality measures, I'm risk stratifying them out into different clinical factors, including social determinants of health, because you can code that Mm -hmm. in clinical quality language, um, socioeconomic status by payer, by provider type. So, I mean, it just, it kind of, it gets, crazy to actually think about what we're getting. So not only are we holding people accountable for doing these measures with those outcomes, at the same time we're gathering so much information that can lead to other, you know, preventions for pretty much any pregnancy complication. So, so I, love, really
0: cool. I love nerdying out with you because you're the, one of the only people that I can talk to about the types of measures and really like know <laughs> yep. what we're talking about. And like, okay, so there's structural measures, there's process measures, there's outcome measures, and there's patient-reported outcome measures. Are the measures, and think about that, like structure would be like what pieces are in place, right, to capture some information process is a little bit more related to workflow and when you think of outcomes that's like the golden ticket right like we want to have better outcomes so are the quality measures that you are looking to you know create would they be outcome or patient reported outcomes so it'd be a mix of both because you have to ease into
1: things certain ways but definitely the whole point is change in medical management to change what's happening the measures we have right now are saying the same thing we already know. We know the diversity, we know what's going on. It's how do we fix it and what's a good way to do
0: it? So definitely, it's for both the mom and the baby. All right, and so then how do you gather all of that information? Because that's a a mountain in in (laughs) and of itself. Um, So that's technical and and
1: difficult. So you find any pregnancy-related condition for high risk and it could be non-pregnancy related too, but you find these value sets and they can be procedure codes, they can be diagnoses, but they can also be things that are interoperable. So since there's never been any clinical quality language Mm -hmm. um, for maternal care, it's not interoperable. So systems can't, hospital systems, EHRs, they can't talk to each other. Um, So that's, that's the main thing and to make it interoperable, you have to take these diagnose these procedure codes and link them to SNOMED codes, mm-hmm. to RxNorm codes. And then it gets really technical and you've got thousands and thousands of, not hundreds and hundreds, hopefully we'll get to thousands, um, of different points that you're doing with the value set and then you're extracting all of that information and then we have a registry that we're working with, um, actually Lauren Patrick that you know, yep. the CEO of Healthmonix, she's working with us. Um, and she is able to pull in all that data and we've mapped out, or they will map out where the outcomes are and get that, but we'll also have all of the other stuff.
0: Yeah, I mean, so that's a really sophisticated technology that she's got. It's been really uh, powerful in helping people understand their data and to try to get the best performance out of it, which ends up working towards education, training, you know, workflow changes. Like, you just think you're looking at, like, a bunch of numbers, but they are very, very meaningful behind them. And so you have... Are you interested in telling us about your initiative that you are uh, working on? I I feel like it's a big deal.
1: Well, it has become a big deal. um, A lot quicker than what I thought it was going to, definitely. But you're like, I
0: had an idea, and then (laughs) turns out (laughs) I had an
1: idea. Yeah, Yeah, it was. It turns out everybody wants, you know, to support this, which is really phenomenal. So I call it Dream Big Maternal Care. It's driving equity for all moms and babies by improving gaps in maternal care. Okay, and it really does focus on health equity as well as holding people's feet to the fire on these clinical quality
0: measures and on really starting to make a change. So. Can you share more about like what would be your vision if you if we're dreaming big like what where do we what would be the ultimate goal as far as well not even a, the ultimate even a milestone because even when you get to it it's just going to be the beginning of the next mountain I'm sure. Right. Well,
1: I mean the ultimate is kind of mind-blowing honestly to me but if you think about it we can have all this data. We're going to know all of these preventions. We're going to know all of these pregnancy complication risks and we're going to be able to provide medical management because we're measuring outcomes at the same time. So we're building evidence for what we need to change while we're finding what needs to change clinically and in other socioeconomic factors. Um, So we have all of this information, and now we have it in this clinical quality language, so it starts to go back and forth between electronic health record systems. So imagine, let's say, if a clinical decision tool popped up in front of a provider and said, you need to do this for this patient because she's at high risk for this. One of the things could be an appointment request could automatically go out securely through their portal, through an electronic health record portal to a patient's phone. This can happen by text and it could be patient education, it could be patient monitoring. It it really can truly automate itself or it could send a referral out um, and structured data
0: to request additional specialists or additional care. So when we think about like... uh, when you're trying to track progress, you really have to have measures in order to understand like where you are now and where you want to go. And if we are not tracking something, right, then we have no way of identifying well where we are on that path. You may have a big idea, but like, okay, how do we how do we map it out? And so you're literally in the process of trying to create that map, yes. right? Yes. And it and like I just have so much. Um, admiration for what you're doing because once I, when I found out about what you were doing I was just like oh my god it's about time I'm so great because we we hear a lot about uh, um, the problems right the problems yeah. and we're just like we can talk about the problems all day long but ultimately what are we doing about it yeah and I was happy to hear that it was something that you're just like oh my god this is living in your head the dream big initiative well it's, yeah it's funny
1: because here at Hems like just at a round table that we had Yesterday afternoon, I believe it's been a it's been a long week. Yeah, <laughs> um, that was a solution for almost every table. So every table got assigned a different mission of how to accomplish something. Okay, and this could be included in literally every one of those because it's really about maternal care and it's really about outreach and it's really about building patient trust and gaining access and you know you have to be able to communicate with the patient to do that. Yeah. And, of course, it's baby steps. You can start with baby
0: steps.
1: (laughs) Uh. You can start with different pilots, um, but, you know, start with community outreach programs, but even being able to communicate and build that trust with a patient and a provider is going to be huge, and that could be done. I mean, I don't like to get on the phone. I like to text. I like to see that, but just getting a text from that, I think, would be... A big difference.
0: Well, I imagine that once you start to get this all kind of put together and more structured, that you're gonna have a lot of partnerships, collaborations, and you know just a strategy around like who you end up working with, the areas that you get this implemented, and like hopefully get really far really fast.
1: So this is where it, it really blows up, because I did not realize how quickly this thing would grow and how big this thing could get. But I heard at one of the um, sessions this week that engagement is science. You have to have a strategic engagement relies on, uh, okay I'm saying it wrong, but... it's okay. There is a science to engagement. There we go. Alright, so <laughs> it's really important to have every perspective from every angle looking at things. Um, and we we have that. So we've got members from the National Institutes of Health, we've got members from the National Quality Forum, we have the National committee quality assurance. We have the people that can make a difference and we have it from every single patient, provider, hospital administrator perspective to make sure it's actually going to function. So we're still building advocacy internationally Mm -hmm. at this point, which is just blows my mind because this just started, I mean, I feel like it's been a year but I only started it, Sarah, in October. So I know it's not, (laughs) you know, it, it just feels like it really blew up really quick. So a lot of great partnerships. Well, Well, one of them too, sorry, because I want to mention this, because this was actually critical to getting these partnerships. Lauren Patrick introduced me to Dr. Sharon Highbay, and Dr. Sharon Highbay has worked on developing measures, and um, specifically for National Quality Forum, CMS, in the past, and she was able to tell me specifically who we actually need to get put together this, this expert panel to be able to advise us on these, and she was a great connection for that.
0: That's great. I mean, because one of the conversations that we have a lot around with technology and healthcare in general is unconscious bias, right? Yeah. And so you want to make sure that whatever it is that you're building and creating, we can minimize that as much as possible. And especially when we think about the impact of the communities that we're trying to have better outcomes for, it's like, Black and brown communities all over the world, and it's like we really want to make sure that not like that we do better by them, essentially.
1: Yeah. So one of the things too, I think that's really important because I'm learning new things every day. So, for example, I learned that it just well, it kind of clicks every day. So think about um, the stress for a mother that contributes to pretty much any pregnancy complication. What if they were a top African American leader in health IT, and this stress, and they're in the underserved population, and we know they're at high risk factor. And let's think if they have any other complications. So, that's something I now have to factor in, mm-hmm. you know. And that's, that's it's it's really cool one to see all these different concepts, but two, be able to to put them into the measures so we can make this right. Like we want to do it right.
0: Yeah, and I think it's important to. I mean, it's the the active action of listening right and Mm -hmm. they're just like okay who do we what voices need to be heard how do we make sure that their you know thoughts and insights are built into what it is that we're building out here so that we can have best outcomes yeah and
1: continue to listen so we've got members on the group for specific populations but they're also we make sure they're members that are listening and hearing other voices as well so they're not representative of a population
0: they are just making sure that that population is heard wonderful well can we talk about a little bit more about you personally sure mm, yeah you so what was did you know what you wanted to do when you grew up um,
1: it's funny because I said this in the last one and I felt bad for it but no all I knew is I wanted out of Batesville, Arkansas okay yeah,
0: I, enough, right? yeah. <laughs> I know I don't want to be sometimes that's enough right yeah
1: I know I don't want to be here I need to get into a big diverse open-minded space and plus you know explore what i can really do okay was when did you when so you were were you born and raised in arkansas born and raised in arkansas um so i actually i tried to this this is kind of funny because i was the nerd that was not very popular my brother was a popular one in high school (laughs) and so i tried to convince my parents to let me do homeschooling and they just said absolutely not so when i was 14 i started taking college classes at community college and just did it simultaneous to high school so I could graduate earlier and it also added credit for bachelors so uh-huh. I could actually get out of there um, so by the I graduated at 16 started um, lying College so university type not community college and then was able to pretty much get out of town by the time that was done and jeez, what was it I many I'm just gonna say a lot of years ago.
0: Okay, but <laughs> how, so know, then how old were you? You were just like, okay, I gotta get out. How old were you when you were able to do that? 22. Okay, and where'd you go?
1: I went to Phoenix and it was a culture shock. I to bet. To say the least. Yeah. Yeah.
0: How long my, did it take you to sort of like readjust adjust you you just like, oh, I'm not in Kansas anymore, Arkansas Kansas anymore, Arkansas? It, t- <laughs> yeah. it
1: actually took a lot. So my fixin' to and buggies and that uh-huh. language didn't last very well. And then once you start speaking professionally, as you know, you, having a slang really puts that unconscious bias almost on it. Yeah, sure. So I got rid of that, um, started learning proper English. Uh-huh. <laughs> did you sure. have to like
0: be very intentional about that? Was yes. It, yeah. Mm-hmm. What is that?
1: What did that entail? Well, instead of like y'all, uh huh, you guys, uh huh, fixing to. What am I fixing? What, what is that? Like, what is fixing to meaning? Am
0: I mean to. I'm, I'm about intending to. to. I'm about to. Yeah.
1: Okay. <laughs> so yeah, there there was a lot of adjustment, but now that the slang's gone, I kind of want it back. But it does come back sometimes when I'm in Arkansas. Yeah, I bet. Especially after a couple glasses of wine. Yeah, I'm sure.
0: <laughs> 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 but that's not where you live now. So you traveled mm-hmm. through Phoenix, and where Where have you ended? I so landed, far?
1: No, I landed in um, Denver, Colorado. I love it there. So one, I grew up in the mountains in the woods in Arkansas. I need bigger, better mountains. So <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's where I think I'm staying and plus snowboarding, all of the fun sports, hiking, all of it's there. It's always blue sky and it's always sunny. So
0: No, isn't it like snowing there
1: often? It is, but it's actually um, the state with the most Cloud-free, blue sky days oh, really? in the nation. Yeah, oh, because it's a mile high up.
0: Oh, that that, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that. Um, okay. So Denver. It, okay, that's great. You love it there. And then, um, ah, this is what I was gonna go. So, did, would you be blowing your mind? Do you think ten-year-old Holly? Yeah. Oh no! <laughs> like, yeah. has any idea what of what you would be doing for like? What would ten-year-old Holly think about what you do?
1: I know that I tend to get started on something and try big things and then just keep going with it. So 10-year-old me wouldn't have had a clue. Maybe 14-year-old me might have had an initiative, at least knowing that I was going to do something, something big, be something. And at the time, no, it was like, oh, I'm gonna be a CEO of something. Mm -hmm. You know, and then you get out and you start to live the real world and then it kind of extrapolates. But no, 10-year-old me was playing in the dirt in Arkansas. (laughs) Yeah, so they're like, no. (laughs)
0: Not at all. Which is awesome too. Well, I think you definitely have displayed uh, courage, bravery, uh, you know, taking on big challenges. What advice would you give to other women who are, you know, perhaps in a similar position or starting out their careers? So, uh,
1: competency, feeling competent. Yeah. Feeling confident in what you can do. Yeah. Um, and I, I heard the "fake it till you make it," but honestly, you have to know that you're going to do something before other people will know you're going to do something. So you need to have that out there. You need to have that type of thought process that I'm going to do this, yeah. and I'm going to do
0: it very well. Yeah, so. a belief in yourself. And um, there's something that's come up for me lately, and I don't mean to like take over, but it's sort of no. the, the idea of like investing in yourself. Like I think. I would ask myself this question, I (laughs) would say, you know what, like education, um, self-awareness, things that like really knowing yourself and really like coming to a place of like investing in things that have to do with you as an individual that nobody can take away from you. That even if you, change jobs or change cities or, you know, change a whole lot of things that they're, like, within you, you know? The uniqueness, that's what, yeah, yeah. like the slang
1: that got taken away. It's the uniqueness, it's the personality and finding those things that you have core strengths in. I agree completely.
0: Yeah, and I think it's something that it's, like, regardless of your path and where you end up applying your skills, that you get to take it with you, right? absolutely yeah and it's always yours and you can
1: always come back and remember that you have
0: those things exactly well i am wishing you so much luck on your journey you are about to climb a big mountain you have and so i want to find ways that we can like support you and make sure that you have like the the community and expertise to help you on your way because i really believe in what you're doing so i wanted to say thank you for coming on the show and if people want to find you or get in touch what would you recommend how would you um, um, direct them. You know, it's really crazy. I put
1: my name in Spotify, like my full name in Spotify, yeah. and Alexa popped it up the other day for one of the podcasts. And it's just mind blowing for me, coming from baseball Arkansas. You uh-huh. know, like Alexis is, Anywho, um, wait. Should I find you in Spotify? Do you have good playlists? No, no. It was just it was the podcast that I did. That oh. was, uh, yeah. No, not that good. But no, LinkedIn.
0: LinkedIn um, is best usually best. the best. and okay. Just Holly Varnell. Okay, wonderful. We will include that in the show notes. Thank you so much, Holly. Well, thank you for having me on, and thank you for the active engagement and
1: believing in this. It's awesome.
0: I am dreaming big right there with you. (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) All right. And thank you for watching. Uh, This has been Hit Like a Girl Pod. You can follow us online at hitlikeagirlpod.com or follow us on socials at the handle hitlikeagirlpod. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Chirpy Bird, Inc.,